are listening to Fuel for Thought, a Houston Clean Cities Coalition podcast. Clean Cities is generously funded by the Department of Energy and hosted within the Houston-Galveston Area Council. Here are our hosts, Andrew DeCandis, Gilbert Washington, and Ben Finley. Take it away, Andrew. Hello, and welcome to HGAC's Fuel for Thought. I'm Andrew DeCandis, one of the co-coordinators for the Houston-Galveston Clean Cities Coalition. Today, I'm joined by my co-coordinators, Ben Finley. Hello. And Gilbert Washington. Hey. Later on, we'll hear from Steve Whaley, the Director of Autogas Business Development for the Propane Education and Research Council, also known as PERC. Besides making this podcast, the Houston-Galveston Clean Cities Coalition also works to bring our stakeholders many other events, such as webinars, educational events, and stakeholder meetings to help expand the use of alternative fuels within our region. In addition to hearing from Steve Whaley today, you can find a webinar featuring Steve on our website, as well as information about upcoming events. Let me ask you this loaded question, keeping in mind that our PR department wants to hear this three times. What is the website address for the Clean Cities for Houston? Houston-CleanCities.org. Oh, that's very interesting. What is that again? Houston-CleanCities.org. So you're saying that they can go to Houston-CleanCities.org to get all this fantastic Clean Cities information. That's the same website people can go to to join our coalition as stakeholders or just keep tabs on what we're doing. Membership is free, but we do expect members to share their expertise. Let's move on to our interview, but do stay tuned for our membership shout out at the end of this episode. Thanks, Andrew. I reached out to Steve Whaley of PERC, that's the Propane Education and Research Council. I wanted to get a better idea of all the benefits of propane and propane autogas. We heard today's guest during a webinar, and all three of us immediately said, we need to get this guy on our podcast. His enthusiasm for propane is infectious, and I'm truly grateful to be interviewing Mr. Steve Whaley from the Propane Education and Research Council, or PERC. Welcome to Fuel for Thought, Steve. Ben, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with you guys and talk a little bit more about what you're doing in your footprint for cleaning things up. Before we get there, tell us a bit about PERC and what drew you to accept the position of business development. Sure. Propane Education and Research Council. And we are a nonprofit organization and we produce propane safety and training programs. And we do a quite a bit of investment in research and development of new propane powered technologies. We're operated by and funded through the propane industry. And propane.com is our website with all the information anybody can find afterwards. Our Clean Cities Coalition approaches alternative fuels as a way to help manage our nation's fuel supply of gasoline and diesel. Why has PERC decided to support the alternative fuel movement? PERC has gotten into supporting alternative fuels because it is a great avenue to do what we like to do, and that is to increase our users and uses of propane, or what we call auto gas when propane is used in the transportation sector. There is an opportunity to displace billions of gallons of diesel, especially in our favorite area of medium-duty truck 
class three through seven. We're able to do this and offer fleets a very affordable way to use clean energy. Could you give us a basic introduction of propane? What is it? How is it made? And why would we want to use propane as an alternative fuel? Sure, sure. Propane has been in the uh, the recycling and repurposing since its beginning. And we're a byproduct of what used to be most of our propane came from the refining of oil into gasoline and diesel. But today, way more than 70% of our propane is a byproduct of natural gas processing. So we have all of these natural gases underneath the ground. When we're bringing them up, we have all the anes, the methanes, the butanes, and, and propane is one of those. And instead of flaring it off, like it used to be done long, long time ago, we capture it and we use it and we have a ton of it. Uh, <laughs> we, we have more of it than any other country on the planet. And it's to our advantage to use it as much as you can. So that's what it is, how it's made. Why we want to use it as an alternative fuel, we can provide a very clean, compared to conventional fuels, at a much less expense, 30 to 40%, depending on if you're comparing yourself to gasoline or diesel. And we can do this without compromising on the performance of the vehicle or the range of the vehicle, because propane is a very dense liquid that we can keep on board. The fuel tank doesn't take up very much space, and we're able to go just as far as people do with conventional fuels. And we produce so much propane here in these United States, two-thirds of what we produce actually gets exported overseas. So we can keep a lot more of that here and introduce it into more areas of the transportation sector to clean it up, but also reduce our exportation of our own natural resources. You did mention that propane was a clean fuel. What makes propane a clean fuel and how might that help Houston's environmental efforts? Well, three perspectives. The first is a science perspective, okay? Its molecular structure is a very low carbon, but very high hydrogen-rich content. So from a science perspective, very clean. From a legal perspective, the Clean Air Act designates propane as a Mm -hmm. clean source. But from a practical perspective, especially since we're talking Texas here, on a tailpipe emission comparison, these aren't my numbers. This is the University of West Virginia who busted Volkswagen for their nitrogen oxide candle. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not going to blow wind up anybody's skirt when it comes to NOx emissions. And our best-in-class propane versus the best-in-class diesel, you know, they both meet the CARB and EPA standards for being able to operate on the road. But when West Virginia actually measured two of these vehicles side-by-side for several months with onboard emission measurements, propane was 96% less nitrogen oxides. That's the bad one that comes out of the tailpipe that contributes to a lot of respiratory illness than the best-in-class diesel. So it's, it's hugely less than what's going on with that. But now we're not only compared to diesel, we get compared to electricity now because there's a very popular movement of EV and it does really well in the passenger car vehicle, but it's not necessarily scalable all the way up. So if you take a medium duty class six, class seven truck, and you have one that's operating on propane and you have one that is being charged with batteries from the electric grid of Texas, okay, and you operate this vehicle 200 miles a day for a year. The propane vehicle is actually going to be 124 metric tons of CO2 less than the same EV truck on the same duty cycle. 
That's how clean propane is. Do you know if those emission reductions brought in the concept of sourcing, for instance, the emissions to generate electricity versus the emissions to produce and generate the propane? Yes. We call it on on our website. It's a decarbonization study, but it's a greenhouse gas life cycle analysis of medium duty trucks. So what we do is we take the electric grid makeup of every single state. And that's why I looked it up because I knew I would be talking to you today, Ben. I looked (laughs) it up for uh, Texas to find out what the grid there is made up of and then did the actual analysis based on the carbon intensity of propane, which on average in these United States has a CI of 79. On average, if you take the entire grid of all 50 states in our country and you average the CI, the carbon intensity of the electric grid is 165. Now, the electric, the carbon intensity is is one part of measuring this, but you also have to take engine efficiencies. Electric motors are extremely efficient, about 70, 71% efficient, whereas propane or other conventional fuels might in an internal combustion engine is about 35%. So we're using twice as much energy to do the same amount of work. So when we factor in all of those things, but we also factor in the battery production, we also factor in the maintenance of the CI of an internal combustion, All of those things combined, that's how we determine the CO2 tons per year, and it's 124 tons per year per truck per year in the state of Texas. I saw that PERC is doing a path to zero emissions campaign. What is that and how is that going? Well, there's several aspects. I mean, we have a campaign that our CEO, Tucker Perkin, has his own podcast, and it's that path to zero. But as it relates to transportation, everybody is on a path to zero. When I say everybody, I'm talking about every energy solution for transportation is targeting zero, as we all should. But I do want to make sure everybody understands that no one has actually achieved this nirvana yet. There's no such thing as zero emission vehicle. Now, we may have some zero tailpipe, but if you go upstream and downstream, we all have emissions and they all need to be counted. Otherwise, kind of give up on environmental justice. Whether or not it's being produced at the tailpipe or upstream or downstream, we all have a path to zero. And the three most important ones are PM particulate matter. And this is why diesel trucks have a particulate matter filter in them. And it's a very expensive replacement cost to do this. The other is nitrogen oxides that we've talked about a little bit and how we're 96% better than what's going on in the diesel environment now. But the third one is greenhouse gases. And there's two places to measure greenhouse gas. One is on the tailpipe coming out, but then the other is the life cycle of everything. That analysis of the extraction of energies that are going into a power plant that produce electricity to be transmitted and then inverted and charged in a battery, all the way to the extraction of propane and it being trucked over to where it's going to be dispensed in a fleet's maintenance facility. So all of those together, our pathway to zero is doing a made PM is is an easy one because propane is so clean. We virtually don't have anything in, in PM. Mm-hmm. Nitrogen oxides, we're able with our ultra low NOx engines, be able to get 96% of the way there now. And we're not stopping there either. We already meet the 2024 and the 2027 model year standards for EPA and CARB with engines that we have on the road today. 
And then the greenhouse gases, I think we talked a little bit about. You know, I shared what it is for Texas with 124 tons of CO2 less than a battery electric charged EV truck doing the same duty cycle. With regards to fleets in the Houston area, we primarily see propane being used for school buses and also for the forklifts. I think that propane works quite well for school buses, but I'm noticing that we're short on two more of the common sectors of vehicles, uh, heavy-duty trucking as well as personal vehicles. Let's discuss trucking first. My hat is coming off, and it's a, it's a hats off to Texas because Texas leads the nation in propane-powered school bus deployment. Over 3,000 buses there in Texas, making up part of that 22,000 school buses that are operating on propane and growing more rapidly every single day. But yes, I also did a little bit of research. There's about 51,000 of the paratransit vehicles. When I say paratransit, I'm talking about the big transit buses that are on a fixed route, but the shuttle buses that go point to point and take care of folks in the American with Disabilities Act. Every county is moving folks around that need to be. And in Texas, we have 134 propane-powered shuttle buses that are moving folks around. And one of the other industries I love, we fit it right well, is food and beverage delivery and parcel package delivery. In the food and beverage delivery alone, just with one customer, which is uh, Nestle Water, they have over a hundred of their class uh, six and class seven trucks that are delivering water operating on propane. They have a thousand nationwide. So it's not just school buses and forklifts, but we have people movement, parcel package. Everybody knows about UPS and DHL and FedEx that use propane in their delivery. But the new one that's coming on board now is the United States Postal Service independent contractors. Between post offices, distribution centers, and hubs, there's 92,000 routes, but 70,000 of those routes are done by independent contractors who own their own trucks and pay for their own fuel. They got wind of what propane can do in their 26-foot box truck. Just to give you an example, the average school bus, when it's traveling, uses about 265 gallons of fuel a month. The water delivery and the other food and beverages is between 450 and 500 gallons a month. Paratransit averages about 600 gallons a month. But these Independent contractors for the United States Postal Service, they're averaging over a thousand gallons a month per truck. So when you can save them a dollar a gallon on fuel, they perk up real quick. All of these applications are, are great and it's it's very inexpensive. Let's focus on the inexpensive for a bit. We already know that it's a relatively cheap fuel. What about the price of the vehicle or maintenance of the vehicle? We'll take the vehicle first. This is fresh in my mind because of the Energy Independent Summit we did in Washington, D.C. We did on the school bus side. And and a typical Type C bus, if you equip it the way you want it, and it ends up being $100,000, then the propane version of that is $106,000. The CNG version is $134,000. And the electric version is $350,000. Between school buses, trucks, paratransit, and everything else, we're averaging a 15% capital cost of the vehicle increase over its conventional one. When you look at CNG, that's a little bit more, but when you're looking at electric, you're looking at 250 to 300% of that vehicle cost. And you're not able to go as far. The claims of 100 miles on a medium-duty truck, we go 300 and even 400 miles on one fueling of that. It becomes very inexpensive to move into a very clean environment. That's just on the capital vehicle cost. Now, you get that return back when you start the maintenance and fuel cost. 
Sam Hamm is one of my favorite school transportation directors. He implemented 440 buses at his school district. And he and I were talking the other day and he had in his slides that he was averaging $3,000 per bus per year in that savings. You might spend a couple percentage more on it, but he was making up enough to buy new buses over the life of the vehicle. It was just astounding. Those particulate matter filters alone in that diesel exhaust treatment are over $10,000. The beauty of this is propane engines don't have that. They don't have the particulate matter. They don't have the SDRs, EGRs. None of that exists on there. We basically use a three-way catalytic converter, just like you have on your passenger vehicle, and it does everything. Like I said, we're we're meeting 2027 EPA and CARB standards already Hmm. now. Let's talk about personal vehicles. Can I buy a vehicle directly off the market that's already set up to use propane, or will I need to use a conversion kit? If you're going to be in the passenger vehicle market, you're going to do an aftermarket conversion system from either Alliance Autogas, ICOM, Campbell, Parnell. Start. I mean, there's quite a few, and if you want to find out more about them, they're on our website. But the cost of those systems here in the United States are, quite frankly, substantially more than you're going to see over in Europe and other countries around the world. And it's because of the cost of conforming to all of the emission regulatory. It's it's not the technology to get you cleaner, because we all know that propane's a whole lot cleaner, but it's the process of getting all of those certifications that's very expensive, and it does get distributed down to each one of those conversion system costs. But if you're going to spend five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000, you need to get that return on investment back. Mm-hmm. So if you're only going through 10 gallons a week, it's going to take a good long time to make that happen. <laughs> For economic reasons, this works very well in that class three through seven work environment. Two things happen. The more fuel you use, obviously, the more savings you're going to get because it's a price per gallon differential, but also the more fuel that you're displacing, the greater the environmental impact. So if you're trying to make a difference, propane's sweet spot is that class three through seven space. You've already addressed some of the myths of propane. What other myths do you think are out there that, if corrected, might encourage people to switch to propane? Well, the biggest one out there is the myth that all fossil fuels are dirty. And they're not. They're not all created equal. And natural gases, including propane, are very clean. Just the myth that all fossil fuels are dirty puts people's mindset on that I have to get something that's not a fossil fuel. I mean, good grief, we let it touch our food (laughs) when we're cooking on the back deck. We talked about with forklifts. We run it inside and we buff the grocery store floors with it. It's that clean. What do you think is holding back more people from transitioning to propane, and how would you solve that? People in the transportation sector, of of which we're talking about, Mm -hmm. fleet managers have a tough job. Their job is to keep vehicles moving. They're graded on uptime for a vehicle. When they're in a mode of using something and they've got parts on the shelf, they got everything, been using diesel for a long time, it's the resistance to change 
that is the biggest issue for transitioning not just to propane, but any of the clean alternative energies. Now, the way we overcome that when things become more costly to continue in the mode that you're in, and when the options are much less costly, get to a point where all of your peers are talking about it, then that obstacle gets overcome because peer-to-peer is the greatest influencer around. And as soon as that happens, like in the postal contractor's realm, one person hears about it and then they tell somebody else that has been the biggest ways of overcoming those obstacles. And so we focus on working in those transportation associations to get the word out and have the word spread from their peers that are having success with it. That is a fantastic answer. Let's move on to my all-time favorite question. What is the question you wish I had asked you, and how would you have answered it? Mm, That is a good question. I guess the question of just putting things in perspective. This was a question that was asked of me at the Energy Independence Summit. If you had a billion dollars, how much could you do with a positive environmental impact? Dollar for dollar. Propane is able to reduce more emissions than any other energy source that's out there. If you had a billion dollars and you were going to cover a funding opportunity for the incremental cost of a fleet of vehicles, I could spend $250,000 to do one EV bus, or I could take that same $250,000 and I could do 40 buses. Now, what do you think is going to have a greater impact for your children riding to and from school in a safe, clean environment, replacing 40 diesel buses with propane or one diesel bus with an electric one? That's the question that I love to talk about. Let's get into the economics of what it costs to really clean up our environment without compromising on performance, range, and everything else. And propane clearly is the leader there. If our listeners would like to have more information, how would they get in touch with Perk? propane.com. And we have a great landing page that can point you to more residential issues for commercial issues for the off-road, on-road, you name it. We have it all there. And my contact information is there as well. Thank you, Steve. Thanks once again for agreeing to be interviewed for Fuel for Thought. I have really enjoyed this and I've even picked up a few extra contacts and ideas. It's been a real pleasure, Ben. Thanks for having me. Great interview, Ben. Now let's move on to our free-for-all forum. This is the part of the podcast where the three of us chat about the interview and any other Clean Cities topics, events, or minutia that we find interesting. The three of us have unique perspectives, and we always encourage free-flow discussions. To start off, I wanted to mention something that struck me while listening to the interview. The discussion made it clear to me that both PERC and our Clean Cities Coalition share very similar missions in that we both work with fleets to help increase the use of all fuels and help connect them with our peer fleets that have already had success to show that alt fuels are viable for their operations. Gilbert, did you have any takeaways from the interview? There are definitely similarities between PERC and Clean Cities. One thing that I took away from the interview between Ben and Steve is when they were discussing school buses. Steve did a great job of explaining the economic benefits of propane in comparison to diesel and other alternative fuels. 
I would imagine our school district's finance team would love to hear that. One thing that I picked up is just like Clean Cities, Steve was more than willing to give a shout out to another alternative fuel. When we were discussing personal vehicles, he mentioned that it's probably better if we did EV for personal and propane really doesn't come in to be the spectacular player that it is until we get into the medium duty and the heavy duty trucking industries. I do want to let our listeners know that personal propane vehicles are actually on the market, but they're on the market overseas. The main reason we do not see these on the market in the United States is due to the cheap gas that we have. This is important because even if a fuel is viable, no matter how noble the goal is, you know, that doesn't mean that a fleet or business is automatically going to try to make the transition to that fuel. If a new fuel or technology doesn't help reduce the cost in the long run, there's just no way that they're going to do that. And that's why grants and other funding opportunities are necessary to help advance alternative fuels. One of the hats that I wear at HGAC is to steward a grant program that looks at replacing old diesel trucks with newer, cleaner trucks. And so far, it's primarily been a diesel-to-diesel replacement. When you're looking at the NOx reduction to go with a diesel-diesel replacement, that's actually going to be a very low NOx reduction now because most of the dirtier diesel equipment is out of the system when we're looking at trucks anyway. If you are in a competitive grant process, it may be worth looking into getting a propane replacement for your truck or for your equipment. Of the alternative fuel choices out there, the propane equipment is very cost competitive and a diesel to an alt fuel is a way to bump up the NOx reduction. So if you're in a competitive process where you're looking at a NOx reduction per grant ratio, going propane may give you a leg up. And Steve did a great job emphasizing that propane is a versatile fuel and not just for autogas. It's also used in equipment such as sweepers, forklifts, commercial mowers, and Hank Hill says it's great for grilling meat. I'll tell you what. Now it's time for our membership shout out. Today's membership shout out goes to the Metropolitan Transit Authority of Harris County. While consistently contributing to numerous transportation committees within HGAC, Metro also plays a large role as a clean city stakeholder. In addition to their work within HGAC, they also have made a dedicated effort to include alternative fuel buses in their fleet. As of now, Metro has 87 CNG-powered buses. These buses use nearly 1 million gasoline gallon equivalent, or better known as GGE, of natural gas per year. We want to thank them for their commitment to our region's air quality needs. And with that, we'd like to thank you for listening to Houston's Clean Cities Fuel for Thought podcast. Join us next time where we will continue focusing on the different alternative fuels. You have been listening to Fuel for Thought, a podcast of the Houston Clean Cities Coalition, hosted within the Houston Galveston Area Council. Our special guest was Mr. Steve Whitley of Perk. All music.
Music and sound effects were provided by Mixpad Masters from the NCH software. What do you say about someone who likes to be burned while they barbecue? I don't know. They are pro-pane. Oh! <laughs> Drop the mic, we're out of here. Yeah, we'll have to strike that too. <laughs>